In a few minutes, we're going to pray together because our prayer will make more sense in a few minutes. This morning, we are engaging our second week of this series. We're thinking like missionaries, and missionaries have to learn a new language. Missionaries also have to learn how to navigate a new culture. So if we think in terms of people being sent to a calling, a ministry that requires bridging cultural differences and linguistic differences. Got to learn a new language. Got to learn something about the new culture in which that new language operates. So we're going to take our cue this morning from this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where the Apostle Paul seems to be talking about himself. But here's a Here's a hint for reading the New Testament. Whenever the Apostle, the Apostle Paul talks about himself, he is almost always talking about Jesus at the same time. He is almost always talking about the way he does ministry in light of who we know Jesus to be. And so he's continually uh, talking about multiple things simultaneously. He's usually correcting a wrong view of who Jesus is, and therefore a wrong view of what Christian leadership ought to look like by, instead of berating the wrong view, presenting a more healthy view. And so Paul here is, is mirroring the rhythm of the love of Jesus, by which Jesus became something new, <laughs> right? He, he took on humanity in order that people might be saved, rescued, and in order that we might share in the blessings that belong to him alone. And you'll see those concepts mirrored in what Paul says here about his own ministry. I become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, this story of the way in which Jesus has loved us and come to redeem the human race so that I may share with them in its blessings. And if you wanted to sort of just come up with with one sentence to capture why Christians have believed for 2,000 years that we need to be ready to, to learn how to navigate a wide range of cultures, this would be the sentence. All things to all people. And in the context, Paul is talking about how to love people who come from a Uh, Jewish cultural background versus how to love people who come from a non-Jewish cultural background. And even as Paul traveled, he traveled through the Roman province of Asia, where he was from. He grew up in in, uh, Tarsus, that's the name of the city, in the Roman province of Asia where the culture would have been more familiar and more comfortable to him. But then at one point in the book of Acts, chapter 16, the Holy Spirit won't let him stay there. And almost forces him to go into another province, Macedonia, which was much more Greek in, in, in its influence. Less comfortable, less familiar. All of this is modeling the rhythm of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. We take on the task of learning to love across all kinds of boundaries. All things to all people. Why? For the sake of the gospel. So that's going to be the rhythm that will propel everything we talk about this morning. Last week we talked about 
our calling as missionaries. Uh, sometimes we think as a church that only a few people are called to be missionaries, and we, uh, we send them to faraway places. But the reality is that uh, we live in a world where there are many cultures represented in our city. So each of us is called to be a missionary. We have to start thinking like that. Um, missionaries learn the language of their neighbors. Last week we talked about learning the language of our neighbors who are nuns, not N-U-N-S, Catholic women who are lay uh, leaders, no. But people who would say, uh, I, I don't have any kind of religious affiliation. So uh, beginning in 2008, it was recognized that in the United States, this group of people is growing rapidly so that now people who say I am religiously unaffiliated, nuns is kind of the popular way of talking about it. The technical term is religiously unaffiliated. People who say they have no connection to a religious group or tradition or community uh, of any kind. It's the fastest growing religious group in the U.S. Almost three in ten uh, now in the U.S. would say that they are not affiliated with any kind of religious community or tradition. That number, that percentage gets larger as you look at, at younger uh, people. So this is the fastest growing group in the U.S. We've got to be sure, we talked about this last week, that we don't assume a caricature here. So for example, a third of Americans under the age 30 have no religious affiliation. One third of folks under that age group are nuns. Some things that you might be able to predict, 72% of that group would say that abortion should be legal. 73% would, would say they're in favor of same-sex marriage. Those statistics might not be surprising to you. But it might surprise you to know that 68% of the people who say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever also say they believe in God. Or they believe in some kind of spiritual being who uh, oversees everything. So it might be tempting to assume that all nuns are atheists, but that's actually not true. The majority of nuns aren't atheists. And this is interesting too. Over half of the folks who belong to this group say that they believe that religious institutions, the same religious institutions they have no desire to be a part of, that those institutions are actually, they have a good function in society. They, they strengthen and promote morality. Now, what kind of morality do they promote? That, that's going to be a complicated answer. But you, you see quickly that we can't engage, when we're thinking about the nuns, we don't engage in uh, stereotypes and caricatures. It would be easy to say all nuns are atheists and uh, they're all hostile toward all religious expression. They lack any faith, they lack any interest in spirituality. None of those things are true. Most of the people in this category aren't atheists. Many of them would say, I am deeply spiritual. I just do that on my own. I don't do it as part of some larger group or uh, expression. And there's not a, a, an assumed hostility toward religious belief. So, good missionaries... Don't engage in that kind of cultural stereotyping, right? We want to know the language spoken by our neighbors 
who are in this group. Good missionaries aren't tourists. Our goal in these four weeks is not to collect a few souvenirs and then go back to our normal routines at home. Good missionaries embrace a long-term calling, and they know up front that that calling comes with challenges and with rewards. And they embrace the whole package, right? That, too, is the rhythm of the gospel. We are conformed to Christ's crucifixion and to his resurrection. And so we aren't surprised that following him involves challenges and joys. And we embrace the whole package because we embrace Christ. And then finally, I'll just say that good missionaries pray. So one of the things I'd like us to be praying for over these several weeks together is for our neighbors to be drawn to Jesus, to take the next step closer to him, no matter where that step starts from. Let's pray for ourselves that we would have really clear opportunities to build meaningful relationships with people that will help them to take that next step closer to Jesus, no matter where they're starting from. And we can pray for churches, not only in town, but lots of other churches. If three in ten folks in our country are in this group, then... um, That's an amazing calling that each church has. It means we have some new things to learn. It's some some old things that we are, ways that we're accustomed to doing things may not be as effective in reaching that group. We're missionaries. We've got to learn a new language. Um, So we'll pray for churches. Let's stop now and pray for those things. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love uh, in sending your Son to redeem a broken and fallen world. We thank you that the Apostle Paul learned how to become all things to all people so that some might be saved. He he learned that from Jesus, from watching the Son of God willing to become and take on humanity, to become less glorious in appearance than he was in reality, to become weaker in appearance than he was in truth to become to all eyes a rejected sinner who died under your curse when in fact he was the redeemer dying a faithful death so that others might be saved lord for the sake of jesus uh, we ask that you would help us to love our neighbors we pray for the folks that we know maybe we work alongside them or go to school alongside them maybe we live near them see them at the gym connect with them while we're watching a soccer game and the kids are on the field together whoever they are we pray that you would draw them to yourself and that we would grow the kind of healthy relationship with them that would help them take the next step toward you lord in town and other churches have so much to learn help us to embrace our calling as missionaries not to another time and another place, but to this time and to this place. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so today we're uh, learning to navigate a new culture. Our calling from the Holy Spirit is to take the gospel to neighbors whose culture is not familiar with us. That's the missionary calling. A culture that may not be familiar and comfortable because that's the rhythm of Christ's incarnation. 
That calling comes with a challenge. I think that what we're about to do right now is probably the hardest part of having a missionary mindset. Because what we're about to do is to look at values of contemporary culture in the Western world and the United States that many of us will think are 100% wrong. We will look at these things and think, these are dangerous and I wish it wasn't this way. And it will be really tempting to see the things we're about to talk about as battle lines in a culture war. It will be very tempting to see the cultural values we're going to name this morning as lines separating us from them. The good guys from the bad guys. It will be tempting to see these as descriptions of our superiority and someone else's inferiority. Now, I keep using the word tempted, tempting, right? That suggests that I don't think this is a good thing. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Can we imagine the Apostle Paul sitting back saying, I have learned to become all things to all people even though I am superior to them. I have learned to become all things to all people Even those ignorant Jewish people who still think X, Y, and Z. I have learned to become all things to all these Greek people who are so ridiculously superstitious and polytheistic. And can you believe that anyone could be that much of an idiot? I'm glad I'm not like them. Let's go win the war, y'all. Can you imagine, take a step further back in the rhythm of the gospel, Jesus saying... I'm about to win because everyone else on this planet is a loser. It's not the gospel mindset, right? It's, it's going to be a temptation, so let's not give in to it. We're going to name these things that are going on in our culture. We're going to say, hmm, those not, may not be healthy, but we can't then assume that we're superior and that we're out to get people who think this way. To communicate well across boundaries and barriers we have to engage love enough to learn how reality looks from someone else's perspective even if we think that perspective and point of view is wrong it's going to be difficult for us to communicate well until we demonstrate that we have taken the time to try to sit in someone else's seat for a moment have we loved someone enough to say I tried to think through how the world looks to you and from where you sit you know if I sat there some of the things you think would make sense to me too I wonder if there's another place we can sit and see it differently that that is not compromise that's incarnational love so that's the skill we're trying to grow in all right here we go What kind of soil do nuns grow in, like, culturally? What is happening in our culture that makes it easier for more people to say, I don't have any connection with any religious group? I believe in God. I may even think of myself as a Christian. I'm deeply spiritual. But I'm not connected to a church or a synagogue or a temple. What makes it easy for someone to say that, to think that way? What makes it easier for someone to say, you know, I am an atheist, I'm, I'm a humanist. 
I'm, I'm trying to pick up the best of human values because no religion works for me. What makes it easier for people to say things like that and think like that? The first would be uh, what I'll call truthiness. I'm stealing this word from a late night uh, talk show host. Some of you may know the origin of the term. If I were going to give it a more fancy name, it's expressive individualism. But uh, truthiness is a little more catchy. The idea that we create truth for ourselves and that we may even decide to create a truth that it, despite what the facts are. I know the facts to be X, but I want the truth to be Y. That kind of thinking is very common in 21st century Western culture. If there is a truth out there, it's nearly impossible to know. And so if we want there to be truth, we will have to create it. And many people who would call themselves nuns would say, um, there was a time when communities created truth, but that's kind of broken down and, and now we do this on an individual basis. So that's where the phrase expressive individualism uh, comes in. Each person has a kind of core concept of themselves. They're the only ones who truly know who they are. And so they have to tell the rest of the world who they are. And build up kind of these outward expressions of self and identity to reinforce and express that. Hence the word expressive right you see how it, see how it works <laughs> all right to get ready for uh, these several weeks i sat down and talked to some of our uh, student leaders in idx that's our student ministry here at in town talked with several of our senior students learned a lot from them here's one of the things that they said uh, related to this faith among their friends and their peers is not a person's fundamental identity. They said it among their peer group, religious commitment, faith, religious beliefs are seen as an accessory that you would use to reinforce an identity that already exists. So if, if your understanding of the Christian faith is that this is, ought to be, even though we fall short of it many times, that this ought to be the core of who we are, that, that it ought to be our most significant identity. And everything else about us ought to flow out of that. It's a very different understanding of how faith and religious belief would work than is common in our culture right now. So we need to recognize that. So it's kind of an apples and oranges conversation. And it helps us to know this. So our uh, leaders in IDX are great missionaries. They're paying good attention to uh, what's going on in the lives of their friends and the culture around them. That leads to an implication. If, if your core identity is something other than religious belief, religious faith, then if you do adhere to a religion, then that's a cover for other kinds of commitments. So this is the more cynical flip side right 
there's something else I already treasure and value. There's something else I want to win. And therefore, I'm going I'm to choose a religion that helps that, helps to promote that. So, for example, I, I already want this kind of political power. And if I think religious belief will reinforce and enhance that, then I'm going to choose whatever religion would advance that other cause. And that's a very uh, cynical perspective on what religious faith uh, does and, and what it looks like and what it means. And again, that might be a very different take than many folks in this room would have. If we were to sit in the seat of a nun for a few minutes, we would see that this cynical outlook on religion actually makes a lot of sense. If, if you start from the assumption that there's not truth that can be known, and start from the assumption that the truth is to be found in the individual, and that everything else is kind of a chosen accessory that lets you express that core identity, then anybody who does have religious faith has just chosen it to express something they already treasured and prized beforehand. That would lead you pretty quickly to a fairly cynical view of a lot of religious activity. From that starting point, this makes sense. I don't think that's the right starting point. But as good missionaries, we kind of learn to understand the culture from the inside so that we can communicate. Here's another thing our IDX student said. That among their friends, their perception of Christianity, at least, is that if you aren't already in, you can't get in. That if you weren't born into a Christian home or born in a Christian culture or from a Christian nation, all of those phrases have their own kind of baggage and problematic, but we don't have time to unpack them right now. <laughs> but if you aren't already on the inside of Christianity, you can't ever get in. Now, I hope that every person in this room who is a follower of Jesus thinks just the opposite of that. Right? Thank God that's not true. I wasn't in for the first 16 years of my life. Jesus is kind, <laughs> right? In fact, he doesn't say, uh, I'm waiting for you to get in. He says, if you're a lost sheep, I'm going to come looking for you. <laughs> but our students say, this is what many people think. And, and here's a quote from one of them. Don't assume people think Jesus came for them. I think many of us who have been Christians for a long time do assume this. We, we tend to assume that people know this. Maybe even we assume it so much we forget to say it. Would it make sense why some people in our culture would be apathetic toward Christianity? If from their perspective, this is a faith that they can never get into? And if from their perspective... The person who's at the center of that faith, everything he did had nothing to do with them. Well, that apathy would make some sense from that perspective. And so part of the joy of the missionary calling is you get to correct these misunderstandings. So all of these are kind of outworkings of that sense of truthiness or expressive individualism. We're going to skip past this feature of our culture for a moment because it's, it's going to take more time. We'll come back to it next week. 
We'll talk about deconstruction, but just put a pin here. Have you ever, have you heard anyone recently talk about deconstructing their faith? Do you know anyone who has deconstructed as a Christian? Right? We'll talk next week about what that means and, and what that might mean for us and our calling. For now, I want to go back to our IDX students and learn one more characteristic of our culture. I'm, I'm giving it this name, saturation, just to sound smarter. You have to give it a name, right? Here's, here's what it means. Our students said that many of their peers have this uh, perspective on, at least on Christian faith. I already know everything I need to know. I already know everything. I'm kind of saturated in terms of my familiarity with Christianity. Why would I need to be part of a community that wants to teach me more when I already know everything I need to know? Why would I need to be part of a tradition to um, saturate me more deeply when I'm saturated? And so sometimes their experience, our, our students would say, it's, conversations about the Christian faith can be difficult because people assume they already get it, been there, done that. And so if, if you were to go into a conversation with uh, someone in, in our cultural climate assuming that they would be curious to know more, you might run into this perspective. And especially if you, if you had a healthy view as a Christian of what spiritual growth is like, at what point will we ever say we have already know all we need to know? Never, <laughs> right? How long will it take me to, to know all that there is to know of God? Well, eternity, right? As a creature, I will never exhaust the infinite creator. I will never comprehend everything there is about him. There's always more to treasure and more to learn and, and, and more growth to be had. That's a great perspective from the inside of the Christian faith. But many of our neighbors don't have that perspective. And so uh, we can't go into conversations or relationships assuming that something's wrong with them if they don't share that perspective. That's a great way to cut a conversation short, make a relationship more challenging. So the good news is this. There's an open invitation. Here's what our students say. Another quote from them. People are open to being friends with Christians even if they aren't open to Christianity. That's good news. Three in ten people in our culture say they don't need to be part of a religious community in order to be spiritually mature or fulfilled. And yet, they'd still be open to having a friendship with you or with me. Even if they might not be open to the same practices that you and I might find very helpful and find part of our faithfulness to Jesus. There's still this open door for friendship. Here's a a quote from a young woman who's a a blogger in the uh, community of the nuns or people who are kind of deconstructing their Christian faith. Her name is Courtney Martin. And she says, 
I just want to talk about how to live a meaningful life with smart, kind people. Awesome. There's an open invitation. Now, there's a challenging assumption here. The assumption is traditional religious communities don't talk like this. (laughs) The assumption is most churches, synagogues, temples, they don't talk about how to live a meaningful life. So I don't want to talk with those people about it. Right? I wonder what we could do in friendship to challenge that perception. I wonder if we could talk about meaningful life in ways that 3 in 10 might assume we're not really interested in. There might be the assumption here that people who are part of religious traditions are neither smart nor kind. And it might be good for us to Ask God to help us to to live in such a way that that assumption gets pierced full of holes. To show that we are willing to be thoughtful. To think deeply. To wrestle honestly with any honest question. And to do that with kindness and compassion. Right? That's good news. Even the people who on the surface might seem to be the least interested in friendship with someone who's a religious person, committed to the Christian tradition and Christian community, is open to this kind of conversation and that kind of friendship. And the reason, of course, is because um, we share a common humanity. Every person is created in the image of God. You will never meet anyone that you don't have something profound in common with. Right? Name every cultural difference you could. Be different race, different gender, different politics, different everything. And yet, we're created in the image of God. And so there was always a basis for personal love and friendship between any two people. It, it may be hard and we may have to work at it. It may not be comfortable. It may not always come naturally. But for our part, uh, believing what the scriptures teach us, that we are all made in God's image and that the Son of God teaches us to become all things to all people so that many might be saved. We know that there's not only this open invitation on the human level, But on the divine level, there is this constant bridge that's open because God has made us in his image.